Welcome to the Boys in the 90s podcast. My name is Nate. And I'm Bob. And before we get started, Bob, I found a commercial you might be able to comment on. Super Mario World, created especially for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. It's a bit more exciting, a bit more challenging, a bit more perfect, a bit more colorful, a bit more realistic, a bit more levels, a bit more secrets, a bit more enemies, a bit more fun, a bit more sound, a bit hotter, a bit cooler, a bit weird, a bit more revolutionary, a bit more Mario, a bit more of what you want. Yeah, pretty much. And it's yours only if you get new Super Nintendo. Now you're playing with power, super power. Super power! Ah. Something something about the Super Nintendo commercials. So, I guess we can comment on a few things about that. Do you remember what those rhinos are called that spit the fireballs? Are those the Resners? Yes. Yes. I always wonder, and I haven't been able to find anything about this, are they linked? Maybe someone who was programming the game had a copy of Pretty Hate Machine laying around and was a big fan? Somebody said that there was probably a musical fan in the creator list because there's like an Iggy for like Iggy Pop and there's like a Trent Reznor, Reznor, like there's, there's a bunch of like, oh, yeah. and actually Ludwig. Oh, like Beethoven? Right. So it's like there's a lot of little hidden references and a lot of the character names. So I wonder if there wasn't more of a tie-in that we didn't really think of. It's funny you picked that commercial because... And I know this will certainly tie into our topic today. I've always had this goal to beat Super Mario World. I never owned a Super Nintendo up until, I mean, I was was in my 30s because I bought one at a store. But I always wanted to beat Super Mario World. So through the beauty of technology, I can play on my emulator. And my monitor's big enough, so I've got the emulator on half the screen. And I've got a walkthrough on the other side of the screen. Because while I enjoy video games, I am not necessarily very good at them. (laughs) And I know Super Mario World has all those secret exits and the keys and all that stuff. And since I never owned the game, I didn't know about any of them. So I'm playing through each level, finding the secret exits. And again, I'm still not very good at the game. Like there's been some levels that I've had to play over and over and over and over again. But since you saw the Super Super Mario World commercial, I don't know if you remember or if you have a distinctive memory, but I have... And it stands out to me to this day, this very distinctive memory of walking into the Target on Valley Parkway in Escondido. This is this is 1991, where the clothes are now. They had the Super Nintendo display, uh-huh. and they had maybe what a like a 13 inch TV. Shout out to Nate's dad on that one. <laughs> like a 13 inch TV, maybe it was 20. I can't remember. And they had a Super Nintendo hooked up to it. And, the, and it had that big Lucene case where the Super Nintendo sat and you could play Super Mario World. And I remember playing it, standing in that Target and just being blown away. Yeah. Right. You got to play like one of the first couple levels, like Yoshi's Island, and you got to get on Yoshi and eat stuff. That was mind blowing. And then you could get the feather and make Mario fly which you could already fly in Super Mario Brothers 3 with, with the raccoon tail. But this seemed better because you could fly and then you could do the dip. Because when I dip, you dip, we dip. <laughs> and his little cape. And his little cape. And I mean, it, and Super Mario World is one of those, like, it still holds up today. It's just as challenging. Again, I'm not very good at video games. <laughs> and I love playing it. There's something about getting the Yoshi and flying and finding the secret places and just the names of the the lands like vanilla dome and chocolate island yeah like donut island or donut forest or something like that 
yeah. I mean, I don't want to say anything's a perfect game, but that game is is as close as you can get to being perfect. Right. To me. And that's a system I didn't own as a kid, but I played it at your house. I played it at Target. I played it at, I'm going to really show my age here. <clears throat> I, I remember standing and playing it at Price Club, <laughs> which for those of you that might be under the age of 40 is now known as Costco in the Southern California area. But before it was Costco, it was Price Club. And they had like a loose Super Nintendo and a TV just sitting on one of the, the racks that's put the pallets of toilet paper on. And this is back when they really sold video games there and standing there playing it. Just, it was like, it was a whole new world of video gaming when that thing came out. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's funny. Cause I, I thought the same thing of Sonic the Hedgehog. I mean, just because at the time, I mean, Sonic two, especially like I play, I remember playing that in Sears in the same way they would have a standalone system. Yeah. And, and actually I think they had the, um, the Sega Genesis system that like you could choose what games you want to play. And so there was like Toe Jam and Earl, there was X-Men, there was like a, a number of titles built into the system and then you play them. But then after like 10 or 15 minutes, like the whole thing resets and you have to like start all over because it's like the only way to really give yourself a preview of the actual game. Well, and, that, and that's so the kid standing behind you who's waiting for you to move. Right. And play. <laughs> right. That too. But it's a good way to like kind of preview games before you end up buying them because the only other way back in the day was to go and rent games for your nearest dispensary, <laughs> your your nearest. Your blockbusters, your Hollywoods, or if you were us, yeah. you, you occasionally venture into Movie Club. Right. Was that what it was called? Movie Club? Yeah, Movie Club. Okay. In Video Town? Video Town, but it was Movie Club. Right. But yeah, I mean... And if you didn't have the system, then you'd have to end up renting the system for like 10 to 15 bucks. I think it was 15 bucks. And so you get it for like a week or so, but still it's like, would you rather do that or rather go to like Sears for about, I don't know, half hour and try to see what the newest games were like? I was one of those people that rented a system. Sure. I mean, if you, you know, if you had a week to kill and you had like a few games that you had in mind that you wanted to spend six to 10 hours of your day on and just go crazy, then that's totally good too. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade and it was the first time I think I had strep throat and I rented a Sega Genesis from, it might've been Blockbuster, had this giant like Halliburton briefcase that it came in and it was all foamed and everything sat where it was supposed to. And I distinctly remember renting the system in Michael Jackson's Moonwalker game, which if you haven't played it, it's an interesting, if you haven't played the game, if you haven't seen the movie, because the movie is... The movie is some sort of acid fever dream, especially when he turns into the giant robot. Yeah. But like playing Moonwalker and he does the little kick and the, the magic dust flies out and you're like, whoa, this is way better than my NES. Yeah, and he's you know, like saving children from like the uh, from the dirty old man. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was it was faithful monkey bubbles. And the and the MIDI synth going do 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 favorite uh, michael jackson standards uh-huh well if you haven't picked up yet we're talking about our video game origins today we're talking about the origins mainly because we haven't really stopped playing video games but to a degree it's it's kind of slowed down in our lives as we get older thanks kids <laughs> as far as trying to get back into school and everything else my my time is completely split uh, between trying out new games on the ps4 or the switch but you know my roots are back 
as far as Bobs are on, on the uh, the home consoles. There's some that came a little bit before our time, but but we don't really regard those as anything. <laughs> I don't know. I about mean, you. I, I remember playing an Atari seventy eight hundred at my aunt's house. Nice. And that was that was interesting because it had this weird controller. And for being an upgrade over the twenty six hundred, the games didn't look that much better. Right. Yeah, I was gonna say like I I started off with one of the original Pong systems that my uncle had. You would plug the two little um like screwed on connector pieces like to the back of your TV, and then it would like send a signal to it and and let it let it know that it's getting the the little black and white uh, balls back and <laughs> bouncing back and forth. Um, but then my dad, my dad actually ended up with, um, an Atari 5200 that had like Space Invaders, Pac-Man and his, his all time favorite was Joust. Um, I remember, I remember you playing a lot of Joust. Yeah. There was something about like the timing. It was kind of like Balloon Kid or whatever that was for nine, uh, for Nintendo. It was like a, a timing thing, like where you had to be a certain width away from the other person's balloon or the other person's flying bird. But the thing would freak you out because, like, there's a little hand that would come out of hell and like drag you down if you if you flew too close to like one side of the screen. It's like Icarus, man. You fly too close to the sun on wings of wax. <laughs> exactly, the jousty uh, ostrich wings of wax. But what's funny is that I looked up how old. Like, I found an old uh, Toys R Us ad from 1985 for the 5200, and it only was like 78 bucks, which is like 217 bucks in 2022, bunny. And the uh, the games were only about ten bucks, which are still only about twenty seven bucks in today's money. Still cheaper than a new PS five or PS four or Xbox game. Right. It was much more like fair. I feel like as far as what I mean. Now, granted, you're getting a lot more you know development out of the games that you're getting now, but still, it's if you're looking for a fun time on your your console that you're trying to play like you don't want to shell out 60 bucks every time nintendo i'm looking at you <laughs> or more right i mean they they never go down in price like even for like the older switch games you're like okay i get it but i know i remember when i got my first wii and it was like jump on the nintendo shop it's like oh my god you can buy super mario brothers 3 for this thing and you had to buy Nintendo points and it was, you know, like you could only buy the Nintendo points in a certain allotment, but the games you want were always like a hundred points more. And then you look and you like buy all these points and it's like, oh my God, I just spent like $15 for Super Mario 3. It's 2007 <laughs> and this, this game is what at that point, 18 years old, 16 years old. And it's like they know they got you by the short and curlies because like it's you know Lord Lord Nintendo was looking at you like yeah you're an old man you want to play Super Mario Brothers and we're gonna make you pay for it right right and they they still continue that to this day now granted for them they actually put out the GameCube controller and then the the N64 controller for the Switch system so you could play an emulated version of those old games. But it's still an emulated version. It's not like a perfect port, you know, going right. to the Switch itself. It's just an emulated copy of whatever that code is. It's not an exact copy. It's, you know, they still are running that same game to this day, like where they just go and re-release stuff like that. Right. And that's the thing that kills me. It's like you can buy something over and over and over again, and then you still don't have the proof of purchase because it's like, how old of a game is that? Are you going to keep that box and keep that everything pristine in one place? 
Yeah, it's like I don't have the receipt from my purchase of Super Mario 3 back in like 1990. Right. You know, it's like the same thing when you used to have to buy the same CD over and over again. Like, I don't know how many copies of the Black Album I've bought. In. <laughs> exactly. It either gets stolen or you're like, like, I don't know what happened to it, but. Right. Yeah, it gets stolen. It gets scratched. It gets gets warped. Yep. So um, in 1988, I actually received my Nintendo Entertainment System. It was the Power Set, and that included the Nintendo itself, the NES, a Zapper, the Power Pad for running on, and then a game cart that included Super Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, and then World Class Track Meet, which, I mean, if you're a little fat kid like I was, I mean, and still probably am, like, I, I did not want any part of running on this little plastic map. It was like a cheap way to, like, exercise. You know, you would just jump on these little electrode tab and, like, emulate running. But it, it was always, like, a, a cheap exploit. Like, you could be behind it and just pounding them with your fists, like, real quick on the, on the mat like I did. Oh, yeah, you do, the, do like, the, the wipeout drums with your hands on the power pad. Right, and, like, if you wanted to jump, like, it, all it understood was that you were jumping if your hands were off of the mat. So you just, like, hit it one more time to land. <laughs> and you're like, yep, okay, I guess I jumped, like, 40 feet. Like, how about that? I... I didn't have the power pad. Yeah. I borrowed somebody's once. It might have been yours. It might have been somebody else's. I got my NES the same year you did. I mean, I got the Duck Hunt. I got Mario Brothers. Did your was your zapper gray or red? I had the gray one. So did I. Yeah. That was like the old style, I guess. The secondary style was the orange one. Yeah. But no, I borrowed somebody's power pad and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be fun, like playing the track meet game. And yes, as as a portly little 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 boy, <laughs> that was tough sledding because you're just going on this mat and you're like, how long is this race? Like, I can't keep up. It was so dodgy as to like how well the pad understood how fast you were running because I felt like I was going for a good clip like against some of the on-screen guys. But like as the racers got harder, you were just like, how am I supposed to beat this guy? It's like insane. Yeah, no, it was it was it was rough. Yeah. One of the best things I got along with that whole Nintendo set is actually Double Dragon, which was a port of the arcade classic, um, which didn't look as impressive as the arcade, but like having it in the home meant that my dad didn't have to drive down to the quick corner to play their arcade games every time that I wanted to go down there. Um, just for, they had Double Dragon and they had Kid Nicky Radical Ninja. That was like some of my earliest memories of like going to play any kind of arcade games. 50,000? You got 50,000 on Double Dragon? (laughs) (laughs) I did. Oh, man. See, how many Nintendo games did you ever end up with? I had, like, I would say, like, near 30. I had had a good amount by the time I ended up selling it. Okay. I don't think I ever got over 10. Maybe 10 or, yeah, maybe 10 or 11. And they were just, I mean, random hodgepodge of games. Like, I had Super Mario Brothers. You know, everybody got that. I had Super Mario Brothers 2, which I never beat, and to this day still can't beat. I had I had the first Ninja Turtles game, and I got that when the arcade game came out in the arcade, and then they did the Nintendo port of it, and I always was hopefully wishing that somehow my Turtles 1 with the impossible underwater mine level would magically, you know, turn into the <laughs> arcade game. And I had, well, you reminded me, I had that Balderdash game, Balderdash or whatever. And then, oh man, I had that real bad X-Men game. <laughs> the Uncanny just, X-Men? Which is just horrible. <laughs> and I had, oh, I had the Jaws game because my whole family likes Jaws. 
but yeah, that Jaws game, which isn't like the movie at all until you get to like the last level and it's like Jaws 4, which I mean, really is the worst Jaws. I just, I, yeah, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of games. I mean, I was like, I was like you, I rented a lot of games. I I could be like inflating that number I had by, I don't know, by 10 or so though. I mean, I, I feel like I had a good amount of games, but I was constantly renting. I was borrowing games from others. I was like, there's always like an influx of like new things like going around. So I probably honestly probably didn't have that many because I did end up getting other systems and like it kind of got away from my attention to just the NES. So I don't really honestly know, but I'm, I do remember that I had like the, the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt World Class Track Meet. I had Double Dragon. I, I One of my first that I remember going to get was WWF WrestleMania, Ooh. which was, which is quite frankly, the worst <laughs> representation <laughs> of wrestling ever. The bouncing I mean, stuff in the background. Wrestling was a tricky thing in the video game world because they had things like pro wrestling that came out with the Nintendo that they tried with like that. I always remember that green lizard dude that would fight like a bald guy, like, you know, and they would just, they had no, there was no characteristics about them in real life, like from actual wrestlers, but they were like emulating pro wrestling the best that they could. But WWF WrestleMania was the first that actually like incorporated the eighties pro wrestlers that we loved like back in the day into the game so we were like all right let's let's get on this let's see what it's all about and then it has that has that terrible picture of hulk hogan on the front yeah terrible picture of hulk hogan on in the game as well um just the the most ear achingly horrible like music and and sound effects and like everything like it just had such an angular way of represent <laughs> representing the wwf you know now that i think about it the nes wrestlemania game almost uses the exact same point of view that the wwf arcade game uses all right where it's just it's you're looking at it like you don't see the whole ring right and everything's kind of side to side yeah and it's got stuff bouncing in the ring that you know like power-ups and stuff right Right, you're right. Yeah, that that is odd how they went back to, to like that old like way of doing it. But yeah, and I think at at the same time they were trying to emulate you know the fighting games of of the time. That's all it really was. It was like they're like, oh well, it's working for Mortal Kombat, and <laughs> the kids love this thing called Mortal Kombat. What can we do? I know we'll get our character that's based off a dead guy, and when he hits people, ghosts will fly out of his fist. <laughs> right. Oh, this guy we have over here who's like Scarface and we call him Razor, his arm will turn into a razor when he punches somebody. <laughs> right, right. Let's give these actual uh, human beings like supernatural powers and Exactly. Let them go crazy on each other, yeah. And we'll have we'll just have really bad digitized versions of Vince McMahon is like unbelievable. <laughs> right. And Jerry the King Lolo like screaming his head off. Yeah. Congratulations to the new World Wrestling Federation champion, Doink the Clown. Well, um, and then we got, did you ever have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game? Or did you play it at my place, maybe? No, I had the first one. The first one? I had one? the first one when they all have, on the cart, mm. they all have red. Right. The red masks instead of. The individual masks. The separate colors. Yeah. Right, yeah. And Michelangelo, Michelangelo or Raphael was the worst turtle to play with. Right. <laughs> Raphael had like absolutely no range. Yeah, Michelangelo only had slightly better. I mean, Donatello yeah, Donatello was the good one because he had range. Right. But, God, that game was so hard. 
that was such a like it was, it was such a bad representation again of like what what we remember i mean at the time the cartoon was huge so all these kids are going out and buying the teenage mutant ninja turtles game thinking that all my favorite right. enemies and and everything from the cartoon are going to be in there and then you end up like fighting some guy running around on fire these miscellaneous robots like you're just like what, what am i looking at here yeah like the robot guys don't look like the foot clan no and because i think shredder's in it but like I mean, the last boss is the Terradrome, mm-hmm. but really that's your one turtle against the Terradrome. Nothing looked like the cartoon until the arcade game. Yeah. And really, that's probably the best Turtles game is that first arcade game. Right. In games in general, I think Konami really wins like for a lot of those games that were back in the day. I mean, they they won out for like the arcade games, they for multiplayer games such as like The Simpsons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, X-Men. Contra. Yeah, Contra in the home systems. I don't know if they, did they do Contra like separately in the arcade. I think there was an, a Contra arcade game. Did they do Akari Warriors? Ooh, that I'm not sure about. I'll do a quick search, but I'm pretty sure that like, um, looks like Trade West did that. So that that was the same makers that did the port system for Double Dragon. Bad dudes. Oh, but yeah, Bad Dudes I put on there too was another great game. It was a platformer, but it was like what got it in my mind when I really uh, started to play Bad Dudes was Shinobi. Was because like Shinobi had like two levels you could play on, like a higher and a low level, and you could kind of switch between the two. Shinobi wasn't as hard though. I don't know. The arcade game was like, yeah, true. For some for some reason, I I could not get that down. I remember playing that on like a Godfather's Pizza for like <laughs> numerous, numerous meetups and uh, Godfather's Pizza. If it was like like a soccer game, uh, you know, celebration or whatever, like we would go to Godfather's just to play, and it would always have that game for some reason and something else. But my my pizza my pizza video game memory is always going to Roundtable in Escondido yeah. when it was. When you walked in and it was super dark inside, not like the well-lit establishment it is now. And they had, in the darkened corner, they had a cocktail Rastan game. Yeah. And, man, I loved Rastan. Yeah, just the, for the fact that it was always there. And, like, <laughs> and you could always, like, play through it and be like, oh, yeah, I remember this game. This is pretty sweet. Yeah, like, I liked playing Narc oh, yeah. in the arcade, even though that game is stupid hard. Yeah. It's not stupid hard, but it is a quarter eater. Super gory, yeah. super, like... <laughs> oh, it's, it's it's super over the... It was like, it's like RoboCop. Yeah. It's just super gory, super over the top, and you're just shooting... You're just blasting drug dealers and picking up bags of cocaine. Yeah, it was super, like, very controversial for the time, which was all about say no to drugs and had a whole campaign by Nancy Reagan and everything. And, like, here, here we are, like, blasting drug dealers on the right. on the streets but with, like, you, missile launchers. And You know, it's funny. Circle back to another episode we did when we watched that D.A.R.E. commercial with Mark Paul Gossler. Yeah. And you're like, I was never approached by anyone in a trench coat. And I'm, <laughs> I knew thi- they were. And I'm thinking about it now. Yeah. All like the shady characters in NARC were all like weird guys dressed in trench coats. And like, yeah. they look like, they look like the Repo Man wrestler. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like uh, maybe that's where they got the idea from. Or like the Lost Boys or something like they're, they're running around just like covered up. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Nintendo was like, to me, like having a Nintendo in the house, it meant like that all the neighborhood kids wanted to come over and take turns 
you know, one kid would get one and then another you know, got their own with different games and you would borrow your friend's games and they'd borrow yours. Like, and for me, it was such a interesting time for like social playing. And it wasn't like the only thing that you did together, but it was a great like indoor activity. And I think that that was like the fear of adults at the time was that like, oh, geez, you know, Johnny's got like a Nintendo now. He doesn't want to go outside and play anything. It just wasn't like that. Like it was like it enhanced like social activity i felt like between friends because there was like this this common denominator kind of thing well and because you couldn't sit in your house and play a game with another person unless you were at their house and they were sitting next to you right yeah and they could like cheer you on for like making it further than they did or you know like vice versa like there's this whole give and take kind of system to the whole thing You're, you're playing madden with your friend sitting next to you and you're not you know, playing some random 12-year-old kid who, when he loses, gets on a mic and drops every curse word known to man and calls you every name in the book. Right. And just goes off. Or same thing with, like, I haven't, I never got into playing the shooters online for that specific reason. Exactly. Like, every every online encounter I've had has been, like, either either boring as, as watching paint dry like just talking about like, oh, so what vehicle are you going to go buy next? And like, and, and just like going and buying it or, you know, just like upgrading your stuff and like having people go like, oh, that's sick. Oh yeah, cool. Like it's such a boring, like, I don't know. I can't get into any of the online stuff anymore, really. Or when you're just trying to play for fun and you just get your clock clean, like every five seconds. <laughs> right. It's like, this isn't fun. By some nine-year-old, like half a country away. Yeah, yeah. I stopped playing Madden online like 15 years ago because I played online. I beat some kid by like two points. And next thing you know, like he's flooding my little Xbox message inbox with like, you know, F word there. I'm cheating, cheating. Yeah, like, oh, you suck. You spammed. I should pwn you. Okay. Yeah. Totally. So, yes, there was that social aspect of your you and your friend had to be sitting next to each other, and you're not going to say all that stuff because you don't have the anonymity of the internet behind you. Yeah. And this was the time before we had emulators, so, I mean, you couldn't just, like, save where you were at or the save the, the part right before the hard part and, like, constantly just go back and forth and, like, try to beat the hard part over and over again. Like you had to start all the way over like in the game from the very beginning. So Right. You had to pot commit. Like Yeah. I I was sitting here playing Mario World recently and you know, like Michelle will come in and she'll start talking to me and I'll like pause it or something. It's like, what are you doing? We'll try to beat Mario World. And it's always like I'm like, I saw you do it like in one sitting and I'm like, I can, you know, maybe I can do it. Then I'm like, no, because I'm like <laughs> looking at the strategy guide and like trying to figure out where to go. And I mean, I've put like six seven hours into it i haven't beaten it yet it's a tricky i mean it's all about timing and what i loved about super mario world was that the the timing of the jumps and the the way that the weight of the character and everything is almost dead perfect so that like you can kind of understand it a little bit you know like as you go along you just get a feel of him and i don't know that's what made it such a great game for me i don't know right and i think there's something lost too because now with your switch or your xbox or your playstation you could if you don't like this game you can jump on and buy another one like instantly yeah and at least for me i had my nintendo i had you know my 10 or so games it's like you had to be like you put one in it's like you're pot committed 
that either you're going to beat it or you're just going to keep plugging away at it until you maybe get a little further and a little further because those were the only games you had. Yeah. And renting was not cheap and buying new games wasn't cheap. And especially now, you know, you, you can go to GameStop 10 minutes away and they've got a box or a barrel or whatever sort of display of like used games that you can buy for two thirds the price. I don't remember seeing used video games for sale until the late 90s, if if not later. Yeah. Like if you wanted a game, you had to buy that thing new and there you couldn't return it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's something in the philosophy of the replayability that it used to be a big thing in the in the magazines of the day. Like some of them are our favorites were GamePro, EGM, Electronic Gaming Monthly. They came out with a second iteration of Electronic Gaming Monthly that was like a compressed version of the main one. Um but inside were all these like cheats and tricks and news articles about like the newer games coming out. You could see like the graphics on, you know, something that looked interesting to you. And one of the things that they would always score on like in game pro is the replayability factor. And that was a big thing back in the day, because it's like, you knew that you couldn't just download another DLC or whatever, like onto your game and enhance it. Like you had to be stuck with that same version of the game that you paid 60 bucks for. So, you know, if it was a super hard game with like absolutely no story and no character development or nothing fun about it, like it would probably get like a lower score. It's like nowadays, it's all about like a like a collectathon, like to make the replayability a little bit further. Like they'll give you, oh, did you collect all the hats in Super Mario, uh, whatever it was, like the, the, the newest wow. Super Mario game, or like not not all the hats, but like all the uh, the moons. Okay. Like they have like a number of moons moons that you can collect an entire game, and it's like all these like little hidden spots because it's a it's an open world game, so they've got like little nooks and crannies you can get into and. Yeah, my version of that is I like the Batman Arkham games. Yeah. And those Riddler trophies. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, but and then the other thing with new games, too, is like you plop down 60 bucks for the game and it's like, oh, for an extra 20, you can get a season pass and you'll get all this downloadable content. And it's like, you know, it's just sitting there on the game. Yeah, if it's not sitting on the game, it's still like just sitting behind like a paywall where you're just like, Oh, by the way, we have this other portion that we would have put in there for totally free, but because you're willing to play <laughs> willing to play it more than what we what you thought you would be able to, it's like they they just it's always been about that though. Like the arcade games are always like made harder so that you'd spend more at the arcade. Oh, yeah. Um and it's like that's why when you get it to a home version, like you have the easy, hard and uh, you know, moderate level of difficulty so you could actually like get your money's worth out of it. You know, I was playing, when I got my first iPad, I mean, 10 years ago, they did a port of the X-Men arcade game for it. And it's not available anymore because I went, I just went and tried to re-download it. But I played it a lot and I could not believe how many times it'd be like, start, 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 right? You just keep going and it's like, if you keep like a mental track, it's like, if I'm standing in arcade as 10-year-old as me, Right. I think I just spent five bucks yeah. and I've been playing this game for like 45 minutes. Yeah. That's the the way the new uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles just released that. What is it? Treader's Revenge that it's like a beat em up that you can play through. It's right. the exact same thing. You could just, you die and hit start again and you're right back in the game. Like I think it's just created for the fun of the game, which is fine, but that's not at all how it was like in the real life scenario where you're plopping down 
quarter after quarter after every time you die or or every like couple times you die i remember games like um golden axe were like that you know you would like go through oh, you yeah. go through you'd be like all right i'm gonna make it to like the second level and you're like dying the boss <laughs> you're like come on man like and so you're just like plopping down dollar after dollar into the system just to beat like to the next you know level but smash tv exactly yeah i mean you couldn't get anywhere in that game if you didn't have like five bucks or ten bucks on you or do you remember this game they had it at the family fun center in escondido and i'm sure at some point we'll do another show just about arcades but now that i'm thinking about it and i've looked up this game before it was a laser disc game and it used like hologram imagery yep and it was in a dome and it was a cowboy yep right and you had to hit the button right at the exact time or the game was over but to get to that point, you dropped in like a buck. Yeah. And if you screwed up, you were done. Yeah. And you had to put in another dollar, start all over again. I never, I think I played it a handful of times. I think you can find all the clips of it on YouTube. But stuff like, like the gimmicky stuff like that. Now, my favorite, like, just like you're saying, though, my favorite was uh, Dragon's Lair, which was stupid hard because you only had a joystick. You didn't have any buttons with you. Or actually, you might have had a sword button. But it was all about, like, the quick reactionary timing of, like, if you saw a left arrow on the screen, you'd have to, like, tap left, like, as soon as you could. Yeah. Or the 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 animated character on the screen would, like, totally disintegrate, and you'd be like, well, I guess I'm out, like, a dollar, because those things were more expensive, too. They were, like, there was so much more R&D and stuff that was put into the making of those games. But um, where did you start off? I mean, you, had a, you said you had a Nintendo in, in 88, or... Yeah, I got my Nintendo Christmas of 88. I was seven. Yeah. I remember because we we had the, like, we'd open gifts with my, my parents. And then we'd all load up and go to my grandma's house out in the sticks. And I got my Nintendo from my grandparents. And I just distinctly remember huddling in one corner. And I had that giant box. And just looking at the pictures of the back of the games. and. I think that it has such a profound effect on me now because I don't have the space to do it right now. But when I was collecting more uh, game stuff, which I'd like to get back into, I had to have the box. Because to me, one of the biggest things is yeah. when you got a new system, yeah, you got the new system. Usually you, you got like a game with it, but you could just sit there and you could just look at the back of the box. Yeah. And you could see all these other games you could get. And you're like, what are those like? Like, you're looking at it like, oh, there's a Kung Fu game. And I mean, little do you know, the Kung Fu game is not that great. At least to me, it's not. But just the excitement of, like, there's all these other games. But yeah, I got my Nintendo in 88. And then, I mean, I didn't get another system until 92, maybe 93. Trying to remember when I got my Sega. Because Mortal Kombat had come out when I got my Sega. You got Mortal Kombat for Super Nintendo, and I saw that it didn't have the blood on it. And <laughs> I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, thank you. Like, what is this sweat stuff? <laughs> like, no. Oh, and then, so yeah, I think I got my Sega 93. It was seventh grade. Yeah, because I wanted Mortal Kombat. I wanted Mortal Kombat with the blood so I could put in A, B, A, C, A, B, B, Abacab. So yeah, I went I went four or five years and didn't have another system. But yeah, no, getting the Nintendo was huge and 
I remember, I mean, I would borrow bad dudes from you. I don't know if my, any of my games ever quite made it over to your house. Cause I'm not going to lie. Most of the games I had weren't that good. <laughs> I don't know. You had some, you had, I mean, legend of Zelda was like a, an all all time classic. I mean, I didn't have the game, but I had always heard about it. It was always referenced alongside Mario back in the day. You know, what's funny is I had that game for years and years and years and years. And I would pick it up and I'd play it for a little bit and then I would get lost. Here's my thing. I'm not good at RPGs because <laughs> I don't have the I don't have the patience for them. So I would play Legend of Zelda for a little bit and then I would just turn it off. So there was one day, same kind of deal over a summer, I think. I was I think this is right yeah. after uh, my son was born. I plopped in the back of my house and got a walkthrough of the original Legend of Zelda and sat and finally beat it at 32. <laughs> and I was like, yay, I finally did it. I've never played it again. Cool. I was the same way with Legend of Zelda 2. It was such a vast game that I would have no clue on where to go and like how to beat it at all. I remember being a kid and running those games and getting so angry and like i was like what am i doing wrong like where am i supposed to be going it would make no sense and i, I don't know what they were trying for like whenever they designed those games but <laughs> if you didn't have a, a a tip off or anything about like where to go or a map or anything it was just such a well and it always always amazed me that like some kids that we hung out with yeah knew how to get through the game and I don't know if they had a strategy guide or they got it from Nintendo Power, but I remember some kid talking about beating Metroid and, oh, Samus is a girl. What? No way. <laughs> like, yeah, she takes, they take the helmet off. She's got long hair. No way. Because <laughs> I played Metroid and I've tried playing Metroid as an adult. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to play this. Like, you just go from room to room. And I get like, like I've read interviews with Miyamoto, the guy that created Mario and Legend of Zelda and Legend of Zelda's like him reminding or being a kid and like playing in the forest and like going on these adventures. And that's cool. And Zelda's a great game. All the Zelda's games are good if that's your thing. Like you want to level up your character or you want to explore. I just don't have the patience for it. <laughs> right like i stopped playing legend of zelda after the first one i tried playing legend of zelda i tried playing is it link to the past link so no zelda 2 would be uh links uh no yeah just the adventure of link yeah adventures of link right because you had the top down where he looks all tiny right and then you go to like the side scrolling and then I remember playing it at some kid's house. Maybe it was Brandon or Nick or somebody. And like you'd hit an enemy and you'd see like these little numbers pop up. And I'm like, yeah, what is that? Like, oh, experience points. What the hell does that mean? Like, don't I just get hearts? And like, yeah, I'd get lost. And I'm like, I don't know where to go. This isn't fun for me. Can I just jump on something and jump on something? And then I finish the level and, you know, Bob's your uncle and we're good. No. Yeah, because there's like a, in Zelda, you have to, it's like a, um, an unnumbered, like, like area that you're supposed to go to first before you go to the next thing. And if you didn't know that, then you'd be stuck there going like, how am I supposed to fight this guy? He doesn't want to take any of my damage, like, that I give him. Right. Or another thing about Zelda, you have to know which wall to bomb, which bush to light on fire. 
but do you have the right candle? Do you have the red candle? Do you have the blue candle? And I mean, without a strategy guide, without a walkthrough, I don't know how you're supposed to just wander in. That's how, see, that's what would happen when I would play Zelda. It was I would end up somewhere, and I'm like, oh, I'm in a new part of the game, but I don't have the right potions. I don't have the right sword. I don't have enough hearts, and I'm like, this is stupid. Excuse me, princess. Same thing with same thing with Castlevania Two. Oh, Simon's Quest. Oh yeah. Like if you didn't have some kid telling you, or you got the cheat that got you the crystal, and you did to go all the way to the left, kneel down, go somewhere else, do a tornado. Yeah, and the game actually kind of starts. You just all I did was wander back and forth. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then funny too, because you're sitting there as a kid and you feel dumb. Yeah. Like, why am I not good at this? I'm 10. I should be good at this. Which gave way to the YouTubers, like angry video game nerd, which I mean, you know, he was, he was famously trying to beat like, uh, just getting to the next level in top gun over and over and over again. And he was just stuck, like flying down into the, <laughs> into the water, uh, the aircraft carrier. And that's hard. Yeah. He could never, could never get into it. And so it's just, it, it was a good reason why, you know, he had such a large plethora of games like they to go through and just be pissed off about because it's like it made so much sense. There was just so many angry moments in video games altogether that you know the designers just really wanted to pump out properties and they didn't really care about what the the play you know the playability was sometimes. But Bob, you could figure out like where to go in, in Zelda if you just call the Nintendo Hotline for for two ninety nine a minute. You can uh, talk to one of our lead professionals here and sit there and guide oh. you along the way to like the next boss you can't fight. It's the childlike personality that works best in this kind of job because they still see wonder in everything they do. They sit down with a new game and it's it becomes alive, and then they're able to take that energy and excitement and explain it to a consumer over the phone. And, and what's funny is that the last time I, I called the Nintendo hotline was actually for Mike Tyson's punch out, <laughs> which is funny because that game is such a, uh, you know, the, the phrase right now is just get good. Like it's just talking about like, just spend all your hard earned time on getting good at the game. And, and instead of like getting any kind of clues or anything, because I was always stuck at King hippo for like <laughs> a good, I don't know, maybe like, three hours i feel like i just trying to defeat this one guy and he ended up being one of the easiest guys if you could get the timing just right but if you didn't have the timing then it's like this other guy on the other end of the line is not going to be able to tell you how to get the timing right he's just going to tell you where to hit the guy right because a lot of those old games have patterns right and you had to memorize the patterns and even though they have the patterns though sometimes the sometimes the timing is like a split second where you're just like not quite getting it correct and, and it just makes you angry as all hell i think i beat glass joe and that was it that was it yeah i never got any further <laughs> maybe maybe got to king hippo maybe maybe sort of popinski oh okay he's yeah he's one step beyond them but yeah i did not get very far in that game never got very far in metroid didn't get very far in kid icarus yeah, Metroid is a super easy game to get lost in because it's just a cavern of, it's kind of like a the inside of an anthill. It's just, you're trying to find the right path to go in the right direction, you like, but, but you don't have any direction really to go in. No. So you're just constantly like rechecking your, your backtracing going like, okay, where was I at before? 
Right. And it's another one you can wander in someplace like, oh, I haven't been here before. But if you're not powered up or you haven't gotten this blaster or what have you, then you're screwed. Right. I want to speak on the uh, you're talking about the the box having the box and looking at the box art. It's the same thing as having the magazines in front of us. Because when we were young, uh, we had a friend named Nick who had a Nintendo as well. And the great thing about having like the same system available for all these different kids is that like your friend would have something completely different than you. And so every time you would visit their house, they would have like some different experience or different thing to look at. And and this guy had um, one of the the official Nintendo Player's Guide. Yeah. And all, all it was was like a giant thick book of like screenshots and stuff where you could like kind of look at the title of some of these games and go like, wow, that looks cool. And that's about all you had. You didn't have a YouTube. You didn't have anything else to preview any of these games on. So a lot of times it was just based on whatever a game looked like that you would you would play it. Yeah, it makes you wonder. It's like it makes you wonder, was GamePro or EGM like were on the were they on the take? Because they had to know some of these games were not very good. Yeah. You had to wonder. It's 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 a lot like reviews for anything else. It's like movies or anything else. I mean, if you have a publication that's like putting out essentially an ad for a game or like just by reviewing a game, like you, you would hope that they're being unbiased. But, you know, they have their their incomes coming in from different game sources and maybe they want to run an ad. Maybe they want you to bump their scores up a little bit higher. <laughs> like. Right, like I, I would like to find either maybe in GamePro, EGM, Nintendo Power, give me a vintage of the moment of the time review of Uncanny X-Men for the NES <laughs> and someone explain to me how this is a good game and worth <laughs> and worth my parents' money because I got it and that game is a hot buttered garbage. I've played it not too long ago and I still don't get it. Still don't get it. And everybody's just a different shade of one color or the other. It's um, it's hard to say. I mean, what year do you figure that came out in? I'm looking it up right now. Ooh, okay. Well, without telling me, I want to say probably 90. Um, oh, it was released in 1989. Yeah, 1989. So, I mean, if you're looking at other games that came out around that time... Maybe the difference that it was like a property that people well knew, like that was LJN's biggest thing. They took properties that people knew and they pushed out a game that was just something that people knew and they would buy it for that reason mostly only. That's who published WWF WrestleMania, by the way, and numerous other ones that they released through the the Super Nintendo was LJN. Yeah. And that rainbow, that LGN rainbow, as, as some of you may know from the Anger Video Game Nerd, is not the mark of a quality game. No. Because LGN also did one of the games, now that I'm thinking about it, one of the games I had for my Nintendo, which was Back to the Future. Yeah. Which, to this day, if any of you are familiar with the game, and I've played it for many hours, I cannot get past the milkshake throwing level, like, to this day. And it's just stupid hard. And I'm sure somebody out there is going to be like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, I beat in that game. Well, I'm happy for you. <laughs> but that's you, and this is me. <laughs> well, and it, it, it was another thing that 
they would use these properties and they wouldn't have anything to do with the actual property. Like back to the future. Do you remember a milkshake throwing scene in the, the classic movie back to the future? No, <laughs> like, no, the closest, no. the closest thing I can think of that looks anything like what happens in the game is where Marty McFly's dad sits down. Crispin Glover sits down, give me a milk chocolate. And the guy slides it across the bar top. Right. Okay. That's like, but yeah, that L that NES game, nothing to do with the movie. Right. Same with like, I mean, most most of the games they did, and I think that's, I think that's where I got hoodwinked a lot of the times is because I would hear chatter from you know kids on the playground about games like Metroid and Zelda. I'm thinking, oh god, those sound too hard, right? And then I would see games like Back to the Future or Jaws or uh, X Men. Something that had a like a licensed property attached to it. And it's like, oh, I like this movie. Or I like, you know, I was a big comic book nerd. So I like the X-Men. I'm going to go with something like this because it's familiar to me. And then I would get it. And it sucked. <laughs> like, there are very few li- licensed. Oh, uh, look at look at Superman. Look at Superman for the Nintendo. Oh, oh, I remember borrowing that from Brandon. Like, yeah. Why is he so tiny? <laughs> exactly. And... He's like a tiny little little guy running around and then all of a sudden like you get to be Superman for about five seconds and then he turns right back into you know his Clark Kent. His Clark Kent phase and you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> See, <laughs> like... and, and and that's the problem with and maybe that's why they haven't done a Superman game in so long. That's the problem with any Superman game. If you think about it realistically, there's one thing that can can defeat Superman. That's Krypton. Right? Not everybody right. has Krypton. Why does Superman have a life bar in any of these games, right? Why does shooting at Superman cause damage? He's he's Superman, right? Like, we've right. all seen the movies. But, yeah, it's the licensed games are the ones that always got me. Because I would want to play a movie I saw. Like, I just I distinctly remember... At some point, my grandparents bought a Nintendo for their house. So when the grandkids would come over, we'd have something to do. Because like I mentioned, they lived in the sticks. And there wasn't much to do there. And they couldn't get cable because they were so far away from everything. And they lived up a big hill. And so they bought a Nintendo. And, you know, you had your standard Super Mario Duck Hunt. And for some reason, they had two or three golf games. Because my grandpa liked playing golf. and then there was this little banger that I would try and beat, which was the total recall game. (laughs) And so much of that game. And I mean, we talked about it on our last show that'll be coming out soon with our movies. And I had seen total recall several times and I'm playing through the game and I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Like when did Arnold beat up a homeless guy or several (laughs) homeless guys, but they had the x-ray scene, which was cool. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I get suckered into the license games and they're so out of, out of the what, 730 Nintendo games that are out there. They have tons of games with licenses from movies and stuff. And most of them are not good. There are very few which are good. And off the top of my head, I'm thinking the G.I. Joe game, both of them, those are good games. They have a license tie in and yeah. they're good games. Chippendales. Chippen, I was just playing that the other day. DuckTales. DuckTales is good. Darkwing Duck is okay. 
I'll tell you what's not okay is like my my super fandom for The Simpsons and every iteration of The Simpsons games that came out for oh my god like uh, up until the Xbox was like just hot garbage. Yeah, there was no good Simpsons game until Hit and Run. It was nice. It was nice to see your like favorite characters in a game, but it was like at the same thing. It was like I've never ever experienced a space mutant like episode of the Simpsons ever. Like why is he defeating these things and why do I have to turn them purple? And it's such a stupid premise to push out as a game. Here's a game I was playing the other day. Speaking of licensed games. And this, this speaks to a lot of my nerd dumb all in one condensed package. I was playing and I didn't own this game as a kid. My cousin had it adventures in the magic kingdom. And if you're familiar, it's a Capcom game. It's got a picture of Cinderella Castle from Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. And you play as a kid, and you're supposed to find these keys and help Mickey, and it's got the characters. But you you go around the Magic Kingdom, and you go in different rides. Like, there's a Pirates of the Caribbean level, there's a Space Mountain level, there's a Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, uh, Haunted Mansion. And I fired it up the other day, and I was playing it, and... I'd get stuck in the same places as when I was a kid. And I'm thinking like, how I can't beat this. (laughs) Like, this is hard. Like the, the space mountain level is like, it's like one long quick time event where you you have to push left or right. It's kind of like I've been on space mountain a hundred times. I know Nate's been on space mountain because there was one time we went to Disneyland. We rode it six times in a row. (laughs) Right. Right. So if you're familiar with Space Mountain, you know, it's in the dark, you're going left, you're going right, you're going up, you go a little bit down. And so this level of the game is kind of like that, like, it's like a quick time event, you got to push the left arrow, the right arrow, the up arrow, the down arrow, or sometimes there's like a thing that looks like a wheel of cheese, and you need to shoot it. And the farther you get, like, it gets faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, and you can't keep up with it. And I'm playing it as an adult, and I'm getting frustrated, you know, and that's when I'm just like, okay off it's kind of like the battletoads uh hover bike level yeah oh man i don't did you ever beat that yeah okay because i remember playing battletoads at your house a lot and when we weren't accidentally punching each other (laughs) in the game not in not in not irl as they would say right we would get to that level and man i that i would tank that level so hard because i couldn't i couldn't keep up yeah, yeah, you needed. It was one of those things where, like I was saying before, you you couldn't just save the part of the game where you had like to uh, that you had to beat only. Like you had to start all the way at the beginning for a lot of these games. So every time you played it, once you get to like a part that's like super hard that you just go through and go through and go through again and again, it's like you just you have to get good at it. There's no other way other than just to like know that okay, it's like. Uh, these things are going to come at the top twice and then like next twice next two at the bottom at the bottom like you your mind has to like remember all these patterns that it throws at you because there's only one way that this game is coded so right and that was now that i'm thinking about that was another thing is there was some there was some pattern recognition or you had to remember it or you had to draw a map yeah i remember seeing like some kids not in person, but like kids would send in, like they'd have a piece of graph paper and they would draw the map of legend of Zelda and they'd send it to Nintendo power. Be like, this is what I use. But like speaking of that magic kingdom game is when you go on the big thunder mountain thing, it's this train and you're going down and you have to hit all these like switches uh, for the train. And you're guessing every time. And uh, it would almost be like, you'd have to play it, pause it, 
which way did you go? Okay, left. Okay, go to the next one. Okay, which way did you go? Write it down. And then maybe you might eventually beat the level. Yeah. Wait, some of those games are just super difficult, super right. challenging. Yeah, I mean, having one of those games really like made me think though, like whenever I was a kid, like I was thinking about being a video game designer even before like those were even a big time thing. So it was kind of an inspirational time because there were so many creative ideas out there even though like a lot of them sucked <laughs> like they were it was such a creative time for people like me because i was i would sit there and draw out like fake levels and fake bosses and like you know i, I would make tunnels sort of like in mario world and stuff like how you know to have like pipes go to different lands and stuff like that like really got your mind thinking as, as far as you know what what you could make as like a an individual in a creative sense i also want to mention that I don't know if you, there was a guy named Travis. He was as tall as I was back in like elementary school years, but he was the only kid that I knew that had a Sega master system. And I don't know if you ever played on a Sega master system, but it was like so vastly different than a Nintendo that it was, it really got your mind thinking about like what else is out there, especially if you didn't have a certain system, like the Sega Genesis, I didn't have the Genesis. So like every time I would go to your place, I'd be like enthralled even if it was like a slightly different weird version of something I had, like I, I would still be like, oh, this is a cool game because it's nothing like Nintendo ever put out. I ended up with a Master System at one point a few years ago. I never had any games for it, but I had the Master System I'd end up getting at some thrift store had Kid Chameleon. It was like a built into it. Mm, yeah. So I played it for a little bit. Um, I knew somebody my dad knew his kids had a Master System. And I remember seeing it and I'd see the boxes. I'm like, this looks really weird. This is not a Nintendo. (laughs) This is, this is, this is similar, but different, which is funny. Since you mentioned that about seeing the different Sega games, when I got my Sega, I thought, oh, this is really awesome. And (laughs) I would play my Mortal Kombat and I'm like, oh, it's got blood and rip this guy's head off. And then I go to your house and we'd play Mortal Kombat (laughs) and I look at yours and be like, God, the graphics are so much better, but it doesn't have the blood. Okay. It was a give and take kind of kind of situation. Right. And that was always the thing. I would play a game on my Sega, and I'm like, okay. And then I'd go play the same game on your Super Nintendo, and I'm like, man, I bet on the wrong horse. <laughs> it's, it's tough. That, that's what kills me is that, like, they used two different chipsets. They had games like like Sonic. I love games like Sonic on the on the Sega. <laughs> And, um, or they would have like better superior sports games sometimes come out for, for Sega. Like sometimes it'd be a little little bit more gritty, a little bit more like they would take risks. Like they had like the different fighting games than were available on the Super Nintendo. So you just kind of, you know, took your risk and you, you gambled with whatever system you were into. Well, you know, and the problem too is when those console wars really got heated up, you know, 91, 92, in you know 93 94 i mean the what the genesis was a year and a half two years old when the super nintendo came out so it was already playing from behind and i mean graphically sonic is probably the best looking game right and what sonic has going for it is it goes really fast Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have that depth like mario world has yeah it's got those colors it's got it's just the difference factor it's like that that 
the thing with like my perspective is always like the, the, the grass is always greener kind of perspective where you're you're not always looking at the same type of game over and over again yeah and like if you play on the super nintendo enough you'll be like okay it's gonna look like this enough or it's gonna look like that because it, it pushes those gimmicks in front of you like the uh what's the one that super nintendo uses all the time the force perspective or the bfx well, like the FX chip, they have the FX chip, FX chip. What was it known for? Like the the zooming in thing that it used to do with all the games, like oh, just that the three D like depth. Yeah, it just that was like one of the biggest selling points for the Super Nintendo was that like oh, we have like a zoom in type of effect that we can do. Insert insert noise here. Mode seven graphics for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. <laughs> Yeah, or like, you know, with like uh, uh, F-Zero would use it a lot, like to kind of show the different perspectives that you're at, like when you're racing. And it would, it was it was really cool because it, it provided like a little bit, you know, like a like a 4D kind of feel to it. Like, oh, wow, you're getting into the game a little bit more. But at the same time, it was so hokey that you're like, once you jump on like a Sega Genesis, you're like, oh, well, these games are much more solid. Like when I played X-Men on the Genesis, I was like, wow, these sprites are huge i like i like the character um you know the way that they look and it actually makes it feel like you're playing the x-men like you're not like the uncanny x-men like we mentioned before that x-men the sega x-men game is very good yeah there i mean it has some down points like when you have to restart the system and how the hell are you supposed to know to do that (laughs) but then really the ultimate fault with that game is you have the life bar and then you have the mutant power bar. And it's like, come on, man. Like I read the comics. I watch the cartoon. Wolverine does not have a limit on how much he can use his claws. But in this game, he's got a a limit on how much he can use his claws. Same like you'd play as Gambit. Gambit was my favorite X-Man. You could only use the the card so many times. And it's like, come on. (laughs) I was trying to cheap you out of like winning the game. Yeah. You know, honestly, they didn't get the thing right with Wolverine until, what, 2009, when they did the X-Men Origins Wolverine Uncaged game. Now, that game, that's a good time because you get to play as Wolverine. Yeah, you have a life bar, but you don't have, like, this mutant power bar, and he heals himself. That's a good game. Oh, see, you mentioned F-Zero. I'm like, okay, how many hours did we spend playing F-Zero listening to Rearview Mirror by Pearl Jam? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would say, I would say honestly, like Wolverine got really good in the Super Nintendo game, The Mutant Apocalypse, I think it was called. Yeah, it's a good game. The Clone Wars or Clone something. Well, because you could play as like you could play as Beast, uh, Cyclops, Wolverine, and even uh, what was her name? Psylocke. Psylocke. Okay. Yeah, and and so you could play as these different characters, and they looked great on screen. And you can actually like do all those powers and stuff without having, you know, a mutant energy and stuff like that. But yeah, it's like, it took a while. It took a few iterations of each game to feel like to get everything correct until they didn't have you pissed off every time you played. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then like, I mean, I love Batman and like the Batman 89 game for the Nintendo was good. Yeah. But then you get some like Batman return of the jokers and those other games. It's like, your 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 main attack is like throwing batarangs. It's like, no, you use the fists of justice. <laughs> you know, like that's Batman's thing. He just beats the guy and tells him not to do that again. <laughs> he shakes his fist at him. 
Don't, yeah. You don't do that again now. Exactly. I'm going to put you in timeout. Uh, so I, I know that I, I subscribed to Nintendo Power. Did you at the time? I did. I, I, had, I had a subscription for a year. Hmm. I believe that they offered that with every new purchase of a Nintendo system, did they not? Like, I, I remember getting a little voucher or something like that. Like, Yeah, I'm trying to remember if I had gotten mine with my Nintendo or I got it. I think I actually got mine later. Okay. Later. Yeah, I got mine later, more into, like, eighty nine ninety, And I only got it for, like, the one year. Yeah. But, man, I was super stoked every time that thing showed up. Yeah, I, I I had to mention that I got my first issue that I ever had. It was like the uh, the the Zelda two issue, which was like the second issue that they ever released. I got it taken away in second grade because I had it open on the floor, <laughs> and uh, instead of paying attention in class, Blaster. and I think I had it like right by my feet. I thought it would be all like smooth and like look over my desk and read it at the same time. But then my, the teacher at the time was like, uh, "What is that?" And like she took it away. She never gave it back. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come on. She probably thought it was a tool of the devil. It's something, yeah. Too much of a distraction. That's where my mind was at in second grade. I'm like, just give me that thing. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one of the major things that came out around 90, 1991 or so before I got the the Super Nintendo was actually the Game Boy. I got that for a Christmas along with Super Mario Land. And um, I remember the, you bought me uh, baseball for my birthday. And which, which is actually interesting because at the time I, I didn't have any sports like titles at all. And it really got me into like some of those, you know, like it really kept you occupied for a really long time. Like with the sports games, you're not known to, you know, to be an enjoyer of the sports ball games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't really necessarily get into sports, but I was like, I was like, cool. This might be cool. They had Mario on the cover and I was oh, like, yes. all right. I remember the first time I saw a Game Boy in person. Well, I saw one in person. It was probably at Target. Playing it like the thing is like, I don't know, it was locked in somehow, but that, it wasn't going anywhere. But then I uh, was it. So what Game Boy came out, what, 89? So shortly after that, I remember the first kid that I knew had one. We'll call him Justin R. You might know who I'm talking about. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I remember he got one, and it was like, whoa, you have a Game Boy. Like, you can play Nintendo on the go. <laughs> I remember Justin R. like really started a lot of my purchases because his family was loaded, I think. He just always had the, the most top-of-the-line technologies and sportswear. He had the first Jordans I ever saw. Well, I think in the irony of that, too, is I believe his parents were divorced. Oh, well. So, so there might have there... <laughs> There might have been some friendly competition there. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it was friendly, but I think there was some competition. He he was the one that he was the one that got me into Nirvana because he he grabbed up Nevermind before I did. I was like, man, this guy actually knows like a lot about. But he was but he was so smug like the whole time that we ever knew him. Yes, he was. He was just so smug like, about like, look what I got. I got the new Game Boy. I got the. I'm on a cutting edge, <laughs> right? And so I was just, I couldn't stand the guy just because he was so smug about everything that he actually had. And like, of course, it was like one of those elementary school, like rivals where he just wanted to like one up the guy, but like he always had, you know, one up on you like by two times or three times. Yeah. I think you even had, I think you had the super game boy before I ever got a handheld, which was, I got a game gear. I never, I never had the super game boy. What? 
No, you had this. The one you plug into your Super Nintendo? Yeah, you had that. No. Okay, you were like the only person I knew whose house I went over to, and I played a Super Game Boy, so you must have had one. I either had one or I rented it a lot. Okay, maybe you rented it. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. I. I'm pretty sure I rented it a lot because I. I once I played it a number of times, I'm like, eh, like it's fun, but it's like you're just playing your your same system things on a bigger TV. But they're like three shades of colors. Yeah, you could choose like a palette, but it was like <laughs> it was like whatever. The games still were like kind of limited by their by their power, you know, that they you could put it, you know. Right, but I got well before I got the Game Gear in ninety. Four, which is a weird time to get it. I know I had a few of these. Did you have any of the Tiger handheld games? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had the X. No, not the X Men. The X Men was the one I just saw at Target not too long ago, and and thought to myself, why are they bringing these back? <laughs> did you Did you have any unknown property ones though? <laughs> no. Yeah, because I had I had I had the Tiger original called Kung Fu that was. <laughs> All shades of of bullcrap, let me tell you. (laughs) I mean, I know for sure I had Batman. Okay. I had had a Batman. I probably had an X-Men. Someone had Days of Thunder. That might have been me. And then um, I played a Double Dragon one. I had that one. Okay. Yeah, those were... Which was basically just like buying the Kung Fu one (laughs) twice. (laughs) It's so good, I need to double down on it. (laughs) It was like they they were just these cheap LCD screened like battery operated games that you could buy for like you know if you were like a kid wandering around at Target or something like that you could see these little screens on a hand, a handheld system and play like one game that's that's all those Tiger games were. Well, it was just like it's like different cells of animation and you don't know if you're ever actually hitting anything or. Yeah, your your timing was all over the place, like because you had these little dots that would move around, and you'd have to get them just on the right time. But yeah, get, get an arbitrary high score that would never save. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I didn't get a handheld till '94. I got my brother and I both got Game Gears. I don't remember cool. why specifically we both got Game Gears. I mean, I was at that point 13, and he was four. Yeah, yeah, we both got Game Gears. I think, I mean, probably because they were they were getting clearanced out. I'm sure that's how we ended up with them. Uh, well, it's kind of like how Nintendo came out with the Switch, like Go or whatever the the smaller version of the right Switch that was, you can't the, plug into the TV. Which right, is, it's like I, I remember uh, parents buying their stuff. Like, here, all of you guys got Switch Goes. Here you go. Here's your Christmas present. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we got those in like '94. And I had I had a Sonic mm-hmm. game for it, and I had I had football, I had a Madden game for it. I never got any of the really bad like Mortal Kombat ports or anything because that just seems. I mean, the Game Gear. I mean, you're already kind of at a disadvantage with the Sega because it comes with a three button controller. You had to buy the six button controller. Yeah, and then your Game Gear only has two buttons one and two so how are you gonna play mortal kombat with that and i think i got the game gear for christmas and i got like sonic and madden and maybe one other game i never got any more games for it that was it um and i mean i maybe played it for like a year or so 
It wasn't, I remember it wasn't like a long lasting thing. It was something to keep the kids occupied, really. <laughs> yeah, and it was probably affordable enough that they could buy two, one for me, one for my brother, you know, and just yeah. keep us busy or, I don't know. They they knew we liked video games, so. Here's my pop to my collar moment is that I had the uh, horrible Mortal Kombat port for Game Boy. It's like you just explained, you know, you have two buttons to like really do all these complex moves and play this complex game. And already the game runs like complete garbage on your system because it's so antiquated technology for like a super complex time. The Game Boy was already batting from behind when it came out. Yeah, right. I bought a Game Boy like secondhand when I was really heavy into collecting the stuff. And I ended up with a Mortal Kombat and I sat there and played it at age, you know, 30, and was like, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I couldn't imagine the disappointment I would have felt being like 12 and wanting to play Mortal Kombat in the car. Of course, you're playing it on a Game Boy, so unless you're in a very well-lit room, you can't see it. Right. Or you had that giant magnifying glass with the light. Yeah, it, it had a brightness, like dial on it sure that sure um, and there's that they could could like adjust the contrast a little bit but it wasn't backlit so you had to kind of have some light source around you to kind of see it better right i mean they didn't have backlit until what the the, the ds well the original looking at this up I'm, I'm seeing that the original version of the game boy advance was not equipped with a backlight but there were several kits that were sold for it that could make it that way so michelle mrs bob had a Game Boy Advance that she found recently when we were moving and I fired it up and yeah, it does not have a backlight. It sure it's color. That's cool. It's got like 16 colors, but you still can't see it. And that was, I mean, yeah, the Game Gear eight batteries, like it was going out of style, right? but at least you could see the games. Right. I'm looking up the first backlit portable game system. I mean, it could have been the Lynx, the Atari Lynx or the uh... Turbo Express. Turbo Express, yeah. Yes. So it featured a TV tuner and a backlit Active Matrix Color LCD screen. That was the Lynx? No, that was the Turbo Express. I just remember that thing because it looked like the Neo Geo Pocket. Like, oh, the Nomad. I always wanted a Nomad. I had a Nomad for a little while. Yeah, I remember that. Found it at a thrift store. Didn't have a battery tray, so you had to plug it in. Jeez. Yeah, that was novel, though. That was that was so cool to me. Just like, yeah, take your home system games and plug it in. Yeah, you know, I never got into handheld gaming a lot until I mean, I bought a PSP. Yeah, which I mean was very cool. Oh yeah, I mean it's finicky as all get out, but as a system, it's pretty cool. I mean, it does a lot of stuff. That was the first system I ever jailbroke. It needed a specialized battery that had like a special BIOS that was like already installed on it. And so you'd plug it in and like you would reverse like engineer the whole like updating process. And then like you could put like emulators and your own movie players and stuff on there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. The kid I ended up selling my PSP to told me that's exactly what he was going to do with it. Yeah. And that was actually the first thing for years. That whole three year period, I didn't have a car. Like I would just like go on the bus with like a PSP and just like rock out. (laughs) And then it was when I was bored, like, rocking out, like, I'd just play a game. Like, it was super cool to, to have. No, it's a great system. The Madden game on it was really good. That's what I ended up having for it. Well, and the God of War game. 
they had a really fun golf game I used to play all the time. It was like a cartoon golf, like. So yeah, that was like a good time for mobile games. I mean, that was just one of those rages that I would never, I'll never forget. Before before in-app purchases and right micro microtransactions. Yeah, I just you know we we speak as old men right now, just talking about the good old times. But it's like you know for your money's worth. I mean, anymore nowadays, like there's more and more like. Um, like schemes and things and games that are being talked about on YouTube. Like you, you go and purchase like almost like a, like a gambling purchase, like where you purchase a, a chest, like with miscellaneous items in it for 10 bucks at a, at a, at a time to just, right. you know, get a costume that turns your character purple or whatever. And like, you're <laughs> like, I didn't even want that. Like, so, <laughs> you know, now you're, it's like they're, they're, they're predatory and you know back in the day you didn't have anything like that you just had like a a game that maybe you could even crack open with like a cheat code which would make the the game even cooler in a way like because you could modify different options about it now because you could get your game genie and then you would have this one cart with another cart on top of it you had to get your big book out and make sure the game genie was on you remember I think it was you. Yeah. You got the Game Genie for Nintendo. That ugly device that would like stick out of it for like a foot. Like, I remember you calling me and being like, it doesn't work. <laughs> like, what do you mean it doesn't work? Like, I plug it in and it doesn't work. The games don't work. I'm like, what do you mean? And then it was like the two of us go, what? what's going Shove. Oh, now it works. You just didn't push it in far enough. Yeah. I mean, it was... <sighs> that whole original system for Nintendo was just, it was littered with design issues. And one of them was just the connecting pins on the inside would not like line up properly with the game cartridges. Cause it was at an angle. Even Nintendo to this day swears that blowing onto the cartridge does nothing like, <laughs> and in fact, it's probably worse on the little chips inside. Cause you're getting condensation on the little uh-huh. electric chips. But still, it's like everybody swears that blowing into the carts like makes the games work. Because it does. You're basically just cleaning off the pins, like, and then shoving it back in, trying to make it connect just correctly. Well, and I had, I had the, I had the game genie for Sega, and once you put the game genie on, put the game on top. I mean, the thing's sticking out like half a foot above your system, <laughs> like some sort of like almost leaning tower of Pisa. And you're like, you know, please don't anyone knock this over or something, because if it's going to go, they're both going to go. Yeah, there's there's a hilarious TikTok out right now that I actually caught that um, it shows all these different accessories being put onto the Game Boy. And <laughs> so you've got this joystick system that's sticking on top of it, plus the magnifier, plus the Game Genie sticking out like the Game Genie itself is almost like a half a Game Boy that sticks yeah. out of the top of the Game Boy itself. And then you have like these speaker systems that are on the side. It was it's hilarious to watch because you can just see how many peripherals were involved in like getting this thing to to look its absolute best. Well, yeah, when Michelle found her Game Boy Advance, like there's a thing that plugs into the top that magnifies the screen. It's got a light, and it's got this other thing that plugs into the bottom that acts like a bigger controller. Yeah, and pretty soon it's like you're holding this thing that's like a football, <laughs> right? Just to play this like one rinky dink game. And it's like, this isn't portable, mobile, or fun. Yeah. It's like the Mad Cats world. Like, they made accessories for just about any last thing. 
Well, before we get into anything in the further uh, 90s, like the PlayStation era or anything else, we just wanted to cut it off with this and just maybe talk a little bit about some of the game um, shows that were out at the time, game-related shows. A few of them that we brought up were Captain N, the Game Master, which was the cartoon based around some fictitious character that traveled through his TV and basically got to meet all those favorite characters from video game world. You remember the show? Mother Brain sounds like... Uh... Welcome home! <laughs> and like well and like simon belmont's like some egotistical dumb blonde guy right right and kid icarus sounds like that goes for me too i guess sounds like baby herman from <laughs> roger rabbit <laughs> get my stogie yeah yeah no it was a weird show yeah it, mother brain yeah. was real sassy like <laughs> Oh, you know, you know who Mother Brown said? Mother Mother Brain sounded like was Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. Look at my branches. I'm dry. I'm a donor, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, don't do that to me, Seymour. Exactly. Uh-uh. Yeah, it was a very different show. And I, I remember actually trying to create a game um, when I was discussing uh designing video games i tried designing my own captain n video game and i'm actually really surprised well i mean i'm sure that some of these were not owned by nintendo like they had the konami for for simon belmont right they had um who else was on that show they had bigfoot as a character the monster truck yes okay that was a that was a a character for the show they had one of the eggplant kings from Kid Icarus as one of the enemies. So the, the villains were Mother Brain, King Hippo, Eggplant Wizard, and Dr. Wily. Oh, wow. Dr. Wily was in there, too? Mega Man was in that, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mega Man is... I think Mega Man is the one that sounded like Baby Herman. That Mega Blast must have opened up a war back to your world. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about Mega Man. Which, I mean, that's a whole discussion in itself because <laughs> those games were, like, ridiculously hard. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that that was, like, an all-time great cartoon that's still available, I think, online, possibly somewhere. Yeah, you can find it. And then um, we already mentioned the Game Pro TV, which was hosted by J.D. Roth and Brennan Howard, also known as B-Man, which we completely <laughs> forgot about for a second there. But that was just a, uh, it was like a reiteration of, it was really just an ad for the Game Pro magazine, really. It was just like saying, hey, if you want to hear more about us talk about games that you might like that are coming out, then check out the Game Pro magazine. Right. Well, this you actually got to see video clips of the games instead of just like a still picture. Right. Yeah. And then you got like some kind of hip and crazy cool you know schizophrenic guy like i'm talking about <laughs> talking about the new game coming out and he'd, he'd like talk all radical at you like that was b man very keanu before keanu right but then uh our favorite things i think were the um the arcade game shows where like it actually involved uh real life kids running around like i think you mentioned what video power was the one where they would run around a set. Yeah. They, yeah. At the end you had to run around the set and you get to like Velcro all these games to you, but yeah, you got to run through this thing and grab games and Velcro them to you. And I think if you got over a certain amount, like you won all the games, something to that effect. Right. But then Nick arcade was one of my favorites because like you would have, um, 
like there was there would be segments where the way that you could win it was almost like double dare right where like they they would like kind of put you in front of an arcade game the video challenge yeah exactly yeah you were you're put in front of an arcade game that you may have experience with but you may not and they would ask you to come up with like 50,000 points in a set amount of time like a minute or something like that so you would watch like this kid go crazy on you know smash tv trying to like beat all these characters and get to like the third level or something like that or whatever and it was kind of fun because you got to watch like a kid uh, you know a kid freak out and (laughs) and then also also infuriating because for some of those games it's like it's not that hard right it's like get 25 rings in sonic they get like three rings and then they run into like the squirrel in the mech suit it's like come on yeah come on yeah like like it's not that hard Now, I don't know if you remember or not, the very last part of that, that show was really kind of interesting because they would put you like against a green screen and like you'd have to look at the a separate screen off the side of the of the green screen and you would have to like try to make your way like up the screen mm-hmm. to like a certain point. And there must have been like somebody off, you know, like in the uh, production studio or something like that, like hitting buttons, like saying when they got hit or not. Because like there was just no other way of knowing, like if your character got hit by an enemy. No, I'm, I imagine they had to have some direction. Yeah. But that was almost as equally infuriating as watching them play games. but like i get it like they're in a green room they don't know what's going on so that's fair but like getting 25 rings in sonic the hedgehog isn't that hard (laughs) like come on it was also hilarious when they get to like 24 rings and then they get hit and you're like really like Like you're not going to win those you're not going to win that set of encyclopedia britannica's little timmy (laughs) yeah stupid yeah no no encarta for you this year (laughs) well and then you had like the more goofy shows i mean Obviously, it all starts with the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Yeah. With Captain Lou and the guy whose name I can't think of right now who passed away within the last few years. Oh, who played Luigi? Luigi, yeah. Were you thinking of Danny Wells? The uh... Danny Wells, yeah. yes, that's his name. That show, a little bit all over the place. But it always had, like, it's like the real world, but they'd have the sound effects from the game. And then they'd have, like, guest stars like i remember like like there's a knock on the door they luigi it's nicole eggert from tv's <laughs> charles in charge like what is she doing here <laughs> what a weird coincidence what do you yeah i think i think cindy lopper was on it and... yeah but what i liked about that show is i mean i like the mario cartoon because it kind of stayed true to the the game and then fridays fridays was legend of zelda which, for not liking the game that much, the cartoon was good and, you know, left us with the eternal line of, well, excuse me, princess. Well, excuse me, princess. <laughs> what was interesting about that cartoon for Super Mario 2, it, it was based around the Super Mario 2 game, which was more... No, it had a little bit of everything. It had, it had some Mario 2 and it had some Mario 3. Had some Goombas and stuff, but like it was just weird how much they incorporated of like the of Mario too. Yeah, yeah, because I mean you you would see shy guys and and shy guys and the bombs, snakes and all these other like you know enemies that you, yeah, you would see them in Mario too. But then you're like, okay, <laughs> like like I didn't think it was that big of a of a thing, but I guess it was. Well, and then that show morphed into Mario Club. 
Which is basically like the Game Pro TV. It's just that we had two hosts that were like uh, out of nowhere. Uh, the one guy was just super like, oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we looked it up a little while ago. It was Tommy Treehugger and Co MC, which were like, it was like a, any reason to put you in like a neon shirt and like have you act crazy in front of the TV while you're saying stuff like radical and like buy this now, you know? And in the 90s, stereotypes were okay. Yeah. Right. You had your stereotypical surfer dude. And then you had like the other guy who was more urban or whatever. But yeah, they, I just I love the how it never ends with the uh, the ninety stereotypes. But I think that'll be about it for our talk for today on the uh, on the video game origins that we that we encountered. I, I think so, right? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good summation of the first couple of years of video gaming for us. Yeah, I mean, we went on to play for a good long long amount of time, but we just uh we wanted to talk a bit about how it was like just starting off as a video game player in the, in the 90s as we were growing up and get some of these thoughts out in the world and see what you guys have to uh have to say about them. Yes, yeah, so you could probably reach us at any of our social media accounts. Do you have any of those up right now? If you're looking for us, we're on Twitter at boys with a Z, capital N, the 90s pod. Write us in at Gmail, boys, I-N, the 90s at Gmail. Instagram and Facebook are both boys with a Z, N, I-N, the 90s pod. We've picked up a few, few followers on Instagram and Facebook, and I've been checking the numbers, and it's nice to see episode downloads going up so hopefully you guys are enjoying this but yeah no share your thoughts because i'm curious and i can imagine nate's curious and revel in our nostalgia with us absolutely we're just a couple of dudes doing what we do (laughs) just remembering our our thoughts exactly well um till next time i I just want to thank all of you for tuning in on spotify and wherever you can find us and remember kids sega does what nintendo don't